this thought today is going to address those times that come into each of our lives when we have a real serious problem that we really can't handle. We all come to this situation in our lives, and most of the time we have no concept of how to address the problem in our lives and to find a solution for the situation for it. The title of this is, How Do We Pray?, when we don't know how to pray, or to make it more personal, how to pray when you don't know how to pray. I think it's good to remember that God initiates the first move always toward his creation. And if we start anywhere in creation, which could be our reference point, this will lead us to a revelation given to God to draw us to him. He, he does this in nature. Uh, we, we can see that the waves, waves of the ocean, the, uh, as they wave, they are giving praise to the Lord. We, the Bible talks about stars singing. I think we can equate that if we take a little latitude with them singing unto the Lord a harmonic to the Lord. When we look at the trees swaying in the breeze, we can equate those to, to we when we when we are in a in a, a, a fun event or a, an athletic event or or certainly in, in our church services of lifting our hands and swaying. And we get this concept from the Old Testament when the priest would take the first harvest bundle and they would wave that before the Lord. It was called the wave sheath. That was the first harvest to the Lord. They would wave that to him. We can look at the wind. The, uh, the Bible calls this the pneuma of God. It's, it's the, the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. And the vastness of it is that wind, it, uh, when, we, when we equate that to God, Wind can be soft. It can be a just a little vesper of a breeze, and that can show the tenderness of God. Or it can be a hurricane strength showing the awesomeness of God. Or it can be a tranquil little breeze across us, the coolers. The, the breath of air can cause the grass to sway, and, and I'm thinking about a field of wheat, how beautiful it is when there's wind blowing across at the plains of someplace like Kansas. You look at that and it's a sea of grass and it's, it's swaying as the, as the uh, breeze flows across that. It, it's in a wave configuration. How, what a beautiful thing it is. And, and I, I can just see where that's equatable. And when we look at that, we can get revelation, all of these things I'm speaking about. We can, we can see God in these things. The Bible talks about in the very first verses of Genesis about the firmament. That's the expanse. We can, we can think about the heavens declaring the glory of God and the firmament, the same word used in Genesis, 
showing his handiwork. We can look at the at the cosmos and we can look at at the vastness of of the cosmos. And it's staggering. We can't grasp the fullness of that. Neither can we grasp the fullness of God. So the Lord has given us these types of revelations from him. He initiates these things to us to draw him to us. But the natural man probably a lot of times he sees, but he never sees these things. How many people live in beautiful mountainous terrains or in places where there's beautiful lakes, tranquil lakes, or around the seashore, or the things we've been talking about, the the fields and and how beautiful they are, the woods, but they never see those. They, They see them, but they don't see them. So there's no meditation there and no reaction to the revelation of God. And I'm, I'm certain there's no, every fiber of my being. I'm certain that God gives us creation because he has to deal with a natural man first. God doesn't deal with our spiritual man because that doesn't come into play until after the salvation experience. However, he deals with the natural man first and he gives us these nature things and physics principles, and the cosmos and the stars to draw, give revelation to us and to draw us to him. How many songs have been written about the moon and the stars and equatable, those things are equatable to romance. So if there's no meditation, there's no reaction to the to the revelation, and nobody asks, "How did that happen? Why did that happen? Who 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 did that?" And of course, God would like to to use His creation to draw so uh, draw people to Him, so He can answer those questions: the who and the why, and how did this come to be? Why why is it as it is? God really wants man to grasp. He wants, he wants to teach his man to grasp, and he uses everything, animals, vegetable, mineral. He uses all these things to give man revelational knowledge. Psalm 73 says this, the, psalm, the psalmist said, So foolish, foolish was I, and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. God's revelation indicators are all around us, but most of us are not sensitive to those. Fortunately, some are, but God wishes that we were. We fail to take the first step, and that is just simply to wonder, to wonder about things. How, how, how does this function? How does it fit into the whole How does what I'm seeing now fit into the cumulative whole? But you see, God began speaking through the Apostle Paul, and he says through Paul, If any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. Now, now that is willful ignorance. That's willful ignorance. God can, can handle ignorance because we all start out ignorant, but he, he, doesn't want any. In fact, is he verbally chastises those who would be willfully ignorant, and that's a sad state. I I, I use the term in ministry to uh, to not be teachable. We come to that place, and I've met people who are no longer teachable 
but yet they, they seem to give you the impression that they know everything. God wrote through the prophet Amos in, in Amos 3, verse 7, it says this, Surely, surely, the Lord God will do nothing unless he revealeth his secrets unto his servants, the prophets. Now, that's a very wonderful declarative sen- sentence. He's not going to do anything. That means he says nothing. That means he's not going to do anything. He says, unless he reveals those secrets things unto his prophets. And of course, prophets get those to share because that's their ministry is to share with the man. Now, it's good, it's good here to remember that there are two types of prophets. There's one who holds the divine office of a prophet, and he's one who tells forth those things which are going to come in the future. There's another type of a prophet who has more flexible callings, and this can many can take this. Sometimes pastors can do it, teachers can do it, even even laymen can do this. The, the second one, because that just simply means not like foretelling the one, the first one, but it just means telling forth. This is just making an, an informative proclamation, an informative proclamation, and that can take so many forms. In fact, is any time we share the word of God, what it says about the promises of now, what he's done in the past, and how that links to what he can do in the future, we're making an informative proclamation. But when our senses are not exercised, when we don't get the rev, we don't exercise the revelation, and there's no grasping, we don't have God consciousness. We just had natural man consciousness. We can see beautiful sunsets, and they don't stir. And it's difficult to look at a beautiful sunset and not move move into a meditative state, to get caught up into some type of a euphoria. We can see birds in flight, and, and we marvel how they stay aloft. And yet, in my mind's eye, because I have a certain amount of background in fly in in being a pilot and flying as as part of my career early on and later for for pleasure in my life i'm sure that the first concept to try to look into developing an air machine was because someone maybe leonardo da vinci because he had he had ideas about this early on I'm sure that the person who came up with this, and certainly the Wright brothers, probably drew from that concept of just watching a bird in flight, and they conceived air machines. They thought in their mind, and they saw the possibility, and they searched after that, and they wondered why the who and the why and the how come, how can this be, and and developing an air machine, and they were successful, and we're still benefiting from that today, and we're seeing technology even in my lifetime wonderful technology. We ride in comfort thousands upon thousands of feet in the air, and we see sights that our grandfathers never conceived of even digesting and observing. We can look at ants on the ground, and we see God working 
truth to us in that. We can see their fruitful labors, how they store up the unity of working and the purpose that they have. And in strength, they can learn, we can learn from the ant that there's purpose and strength. They're very small, and yet uh, a swarm of ants can take down big animals. They can feed on that. So that's, that's a very stirring thing. It, they can take down animals, multitudes of their own size, but when they work in harmony and in unison with a purpose, wondrous things labor. Wonderful things happen through their labors. When we look at squirrels, I, I, we have some squirrels activity in our property. And we can see the laying up principle there, the thrift in this thing. And they're always busy because we don't have very harsh winters here. The squirrels don't hibernate greatly as they do in the northern tier. So we see them active all the time, but they're never dormant. They are always out in some form. They're, they're harvesting and they're planting. And they tell me that squirrels rather can, can remember like 75% of the seeds that they, that they plant. And of course, the rest probably germinate and, and grow trees. So God used those. With there again, we can answer the why. And, of course, the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, when we're talking about uh, getting wisdom from the animals, which God tells us that we can certainly do. In Matthew 6, verse 19, it says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. And in verse 21 says, Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. It's wonderful to meditate on these things and draw conclusions from some of the things we've talked about. There's a divine cord of this run, which runs through the Bible of being conscious of godly things and not just fastening our thoughts on natural things because at some point we're going to need God involved. When we observe flags fluttering in the breeze, of course, it's patriotic. But yet, God tells us that's one of his names, Jehovah Nisi, which is banner. And if we keep our eyes fixed on him as our banner, then we'll plot a true course from where we are to where he is. So that's one of his names. If we look at that tranquil lake or a beautiful cloud that I spoke about, and we, and we find that peace in our soul, God tells us one of his names is Jehovah Shalom, peace, safety. When, when we have that comforting feeling, God is just manifesting that to us. When we have a discrepancy in the, our flesh, like a scrape on our body or a skin place or a cut, then God reminds us that he's Jehovah Jireh, the healer, the mender. And of course, that's just not only the flesh. He's a mender of body, soul, and spirit. When, when our soul is bruised and we've been disappointed or when our spirits have entertained some kind of a trauma, then God is there reminding us, I'm Jehovah Rapha. And of course, as you know, by listening to this, this is that's the name of our ministry that God gave us. It's Rafa International. And we want to be a mender and a healer to the people 
implementing in God into their circumstances and situation and help people find that God. And I'm leading to a point. I really am. I'm laying some groundwork right now. So a person should exercise their soul as to the why and the who and the when and the how. These are points of embarkation, points of embarkation where people start off and, and they go toward from one point, they push off and they shove off, much like a ship shoving off from the dock and moving to a destination. However, let me just remind us in this thought that when you choose to start moving out on these things, you can expect factors to hinder your departure. Chores are seem like they're going to present themselves, chores that you need to take up around your home and your life. You seem like there'll be a, uh, that just have to be done at that time to hinder your moving out on, on this process of re- reacting to God's revelation. You'll find that you'll have obligations that seem like that they just have to be satisfied. And, and let me just tell you, Satan, And the satanic demonic kingdom will make sure that when a person attempts to move out on God and any part of revelation, that they're going to hinder that. But the good thing about this is God is not limited by hindering factors. He is only limited by one's response. I'm convinced, though, in years of ministry, that the primary thing that God responds to is prayer, reaching out to him, stating our need, seeking his guidance, asking him to get involved into our life. Prayers can go from those of a simple child that God answers. And of course, he can answer a simple prayer from even an adult who's a baby in Christ or sometime even a mature Christian. We pray, we pray those simple prayers to a mature believer. There are prayers at time that run the whole gauntlet from a simple prayer through, through the everyday maintenance of our life, asking God to be involved in our everyday existence of giving us wisdom and knowledge and understanding, empowering us to go forth and act prudently, to live up to the word, uh, having the Holy Spirit guard our souls and give us the strength to act right. But let me just say here, and I've laid the groundwork for the things I've been talking about, there will come a time in a, a mature Christian's life, no matter where you're a spirit-filled believer or you're a person who hasn't gone through that experience yet and you, you don't quite know what God has promised about how we can act out of faith and what he's promised to give those who will act in a faith movement. Now, I'm not claiming that we can, we can claim everything we want and expect God to be some kind of a Santa Claus for us. He's not going to do that. But I'm talking about we standing on the Word of God and confessing that. But there is going to come that time. And I, maybe you have gone through these. I, I, I hope that you haven't. But I'm preparing you. This, this, what we're teaching today will be invaluable to you as a believer, because it's going to give you an option as to how to function when you run out of your options and you come to that place when 
you've prayed and it doesn't seem to do any good. And then you go be one step beyond that. And I want to talk to you about how to pray when you don't know how to pray. Those times when you get the adverse medical report or you get the financial crisis and, and you, you don't have the funds or the wherewithal to meet the situation and the crisis, or you come to that life-changing decision that you just don't know what to do, and it's a, and it's a, a directional decision. You have to have an answer because you have to move on this, and it's a crisis situation. And when you come to this, even though we've been praying simple prayers, they're not enough. And even our day prayers and, and what we think are our faith, faith prayers, we've come to that place when we no longer know what to do. And we need to know how to pray when we don't know how to pray. So there does there comes that desperate situations when these things arise and we come into that conflict between just a desire prayer and a need prayer. A desire prayer is just something that it would give a quality to your life. It would it would meet a wish in your life or a desire in your life. But really, if you didn't get that thing, your, your life wouldn't cave in and your living circumstances would not alter greatly. You could do without it, but there's certain things that we would like to have. And those are desires, and, and God certainly gets involved in those areas. However, there comes the time when there is a need involved. Now, it's no longer a desire, a need, and I'm going to equate about that to, parenthetically, something that forces a desperation into you if it's not met. It's a desperation time when you run out of your option. And when there is a need, let me state right here, when there's this need, don't attempt to fill that with the flesh and satisfy it by the flesh because that that will not work. If we try to do that, if we try to fill that in our own strength, we will end up what John 10.10 says, It'll, it'll open the door for the enemy, and it will, it will, we'll end up making decisions that end up in a stealing, killing, or destroying situation. And these things will always bring greater trepidation. They'll bring greater uh, discomfort. There'll be greater confusion. And the end thereof is going to be death into that life if they try to satisfy. When you come to that need, desperation needed prayer, there's going to come that time if you try to satisfy that in the flesh, it's going to end up something will die of quality in your life that, that you already have. This need prayer is going to require some type of a divine action because the individual soul will be in a trauma situation. It will be in shock, much like uh, some type of an amnesia. Maybe you've tried to satisfy that so much that now you can't think straight. And as I said before, if you haven't gone through this, praise God, but you're going to come to this situation. I can assure you, you will come to the situation when events present themselves, and you'll come to the point when you 
need to pray, but you don't know how to pray. This message today, let me say right here, it's for the New Testament believer. The Old Testament people could not apply what what I'm going to be teaching it today, what I am teaching it today, because this is a covenant thing. It's just not a mental uh, attitude. It's not just a psychological thing. It is a spiritual thing, and being spiritual, God operates with his people through covenant. Of course, he has a certain amount of grace and a certain amount of, of love and that's involved in that in providing for his children, but God responds to us mainly through covenant. He reaches believers that way. And this is where we're going to have to get involved when we have this, this need prayer. This, there's a method for that. And this is what we're going to be talking about. There's a, a time when you're going to have this and you need to, to know how to pray when you don't know how to pray. And God has the provisions that he's already set in place, knowing that you would come to this type of a situation. And God begins prepping our heart for this in John 14, 12. Here, here's an authorization for the believer, the new covenant believer, the New Testament believer, those who know how to stand on the promises of God when you don't know how to function and how to ask and how to pray, how to get a prayer to, across to God that he can recognize. And we're going to look into the nuts and bolts of it, of how what happens in heaven when we go through this. And John 14, 12 says this. This is the authorization. He that believeth on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And it goes on to say, because I go to my Father. And it says, he that believeth on me. That means since the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this is when this came into play. The works that I do. Jesus, who was God, Jesus God has need and direction of his father. He operates in submission in, in the uh, incarnation situation. He told us he didn't do anything except the father directed him. He went to the father every time he had a need and to get direction. And I think there was times in, in his incarnation when you set aside all of his wisdom and knowledge and understanding and Godhead that there was times when he didn't know what to do and he didn't know how to do it. So he, he applied basically the concept of this prayer too because he needed direction. He needed his needs to be met. He needed the, the answer to be given by the Father because I'm convinced there were times when he did not know exactly what to do and he depended on the Father to give him that direction. And then after the, the resurrection, he says, you can do these things because I go into my father. And you know what? He's still going to the father for you and me because now he, he's in the area of being our advocate, our lawyer to the father on our behalf. So he's going for to the, the father God every, well, I hate to use the word moment because that's really incorrect, constantly. Without any break in that, he's he's meeting the, he's going to the Father to get answers to how to rule the universe and to and to how to rule the process of creation functioning and how every person on earth that is reaching out to him can at the same time he can meet those needs, and so he's going to 
to God the Father for us. How comforting it is for me personally, and, and I'm sure for you to know that Jesus Christ is ministering to our needs right now. He's going to, to God the Father to, to take, carry our needs to him. And John fourteen twelve said that, and verse 13 says, and that means he's, he's carrying on the thought, whosoever and whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, whatsoever is a, an unlimited term. There's nothing too big and too vast and too complex for him. And it says, whatsoever you shall ask. Now, it says shall ask. That means you have to ask for it. The believer must humble himself before God and ask. This is a premise. If you try to just depend on God to meet every one of your needs without ever going to him as a child to their father, you're going to, be, you're going to, you're going to have major problems, especially when you come to the times such as you, we're talking about now when you have a need and you don't know what to do. You, you, you come to that point when you've expended all of your options and you, you, you're drawn to that place where you have to humble yourself and ask. And it says, ask in my name. In other words, we're using Jesus' delegated authority to the New Testament saints to use his name. And in verse 14 says, if, that's a qualifying word, if ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. So that's a prerequisite. If you, if you ask anything, that's a prerequisite declaration. And that means that the one's ability, they're asking beyond that. They've run out of options. It says anything. That, that kind of like a whatsoever because it's open-ended in both ways. God's not limited just to the now and the future. He, he, he can put the, the past, the present, and the future together. And Jesus says, I will do it. I will, if you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. So he, there we need to understand when he says, I will do it. Jesus says, I will do it. You need to understand when the Godhead speaks, they're speaking for the Godhead. Though they may be speaking in the first person singular, but they're still speaking for the Godhead. I'm going to give you now the key as to how to pray when you don't know how to pray, when your mind is paralyzed, you've come to that situation, this is how I want you to pray. And this is the strict scripture that you're going to stand on. It's found in Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27. And it says this, The Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us, with groanings which cannot be uttered, and he that searches the hearts knoweth what is in the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. This is what you're, you're going to quote that scripture to God when you come to that point and you don't know how to pray and yet you need to pray, that's the scripture that you're going to quote to God. He'll be listening for that prayer because this is the key process in getting your need, not a desire, but a need prayer answered when your mind and you're mentally paralyzed. 
and you've expended all of your option. And the believer, you, begin to pray this need prayer. And what you're saying is, Father, I am quoting this scripture to you because I'm desperate. And I'm asking you, please help me in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, this is what I'm asking you to get involved because I'm quoting this desperate prayer to you on on my, my behalf for have you consider this. And this, when you quote that to God and you quote this scripture to him and you say, God, I, I, I'm outside of my ability, my capability, and you quote those that passage of scripture, verse 26 and 27, now let me tell you what goes on behind the scenes in heaven. And it's a marvelous, marvelous saying. Now this, uh, now this prayer request begins to process and it begins to function in the Godhead's capacity and in their operation. Each of them is, is going to have functions in this that which they're going to have to perform to meet this need prayer as it goes up before them. So when you quote that to him, to the you say to the Father, I'm praying this because I'm crying out to you. I've run out of options, and I need your divine assistance in this. And when you say that, now your prayer need begins to be processed. And at that moment, God the Holy Spirit takes the request to God the Lord Jesus, because he's the intercessor and our advocate. And he goes to Jesus saying, my child is crying out for help. They have a need that they can't answer, and they're crying out to the Father for help. And then God, the Lord Jesus, takes that cry from the Holy Spirit for help to God, the Father. And he goes to the Father saying, Father, our child, and he names your name, in this desperation time, is crying out for help. They've run out of options. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to act. They're beyond their capacity. And they have asked it in my name, in my authority, and that's why I'm positioning you for it. And I ask you to hear their cry for help. And then God the Father says, based upon your intercession, I hear what you're saying. And then God the Father says to the Lord Jesus, I need to ask you what is really needed. What is their real need? I know I know they're crying out for a need that they don't know how to function, but what is that need? He says, so find out what the need is for me. And then the Lord Jesus asked the Holy Spirit, which is God, he tells him, go research the real need behind this cry, this this pitiful crying out to God the Father. Find out what the real need is. And then the Holy Spirit, God, begins to analyze the infirmities because it said there, he helpeth our infirmities. 
And the infirmities there are our weaknesses. And certainly when you come to this time in a prayer need, and I've been there. I wish I had known this principle then. It could have been a lot different, but I'm trying to help you now, and I'm glad that God led you this way to find out this truth. It's going to be invaluable to you. So the Holy Spirit begins to analyze the infirmities, the weaknesses involved in this, and he begins to gather the factors, not just what's in that particular life, but the circumstances and what's involved in in making this prayer request. And he elaborates them back once he's gathered the facts, and he begins to re-elaborate all of the facts back to the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, okay, this is these are the factors that are involved in this thing. I know he cried out to you in a simple prayer in desperation, but here are all of the factors involved. And then the Lord Jesus, now having the factors, he begins to formulate the factors into an order by circumstances and events that will take place based upon this. By groanings. Now, this groanings here is an intercessory groaning. It's 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 a audible thing to God the Father. He begins groaning this to God the Father, giving God the Father the factors that are involved in the situation, and then God the Father hears this cry of all the factors that are involved, and they begin to rationalize to Him. And he understands, and that God the Father says, I realize and know what they should pray for. They don't know what they should pray for. When when they're praying, they're coming into desperation, and they don't know what to pray for, but these are the factors that, uh, that are involved. They don't know as they ought to. They, they've come to that point where they don't know how to pray as they ought. So here is my decision based upon the fact they were crying out, And the Holy Spirit has given us all of the factors involved, and you've evaluated those and put those in chronological order based upon how we need to uh, address this situation. You've presented those to me. Now, here is my decision. This is the Father speaking. Here's my decision to answer this need cry. I accept the Lord Jesus' intercession. I accept that for what you're interceding on this my child's part. And this is my will based upon what you have given me, all of the factors in order as to how they are important. And this is my opinion. It's not just an impulse. I've taken time to evaluate these things. I've decided the best course of action as to how to lay this out. And this is what is truly needed to satisfy this cry. And it's based upon all of our Cumulative efforts, the Godhead's efforts. This is what the Father says. I've taken all of the Holy Spirit's ideas. I've taken all of the Lord Jesus' input, and I've considered all these in ways that all the factors have been printed to me, and I have come up with a Godhead plan. And then God the Father tells the Lord Jesus Christ to tell the Holy Spirit This is my divine will in answering this cry for help. And that's exactly what happened. God the Father tells the Lord Jesus how to answer it. And then the Lord Jesus goes to God the Holy Spirit. And he says, this is the will of the Father in answering this cry for help. 
And then God, the the Lord Jesus, tells God the Holy Spirit, this is the Father's will in this cry, his will based upon the factors, and you are authorized now to act upon providing what is really needed in this prayer. And then God, the Holy Spirit, begins to bring the situations and the, the efforts together and the things needed together according to the will of God, the Godhead, to answer this prayer. Let me just insert Philippians chapter 4, verse 7 in this process here. And it says, and gives a peace that passes all understanding. When God is doing this, and the one is still the crying out to God and waiting for the answer, while they're doing that, one of the beautiful things about God is that he gives peace that passes understanding while he's keeping uh, the functioning going and he's beginning to answer the prayer. He, he He's passing understanding. That means it's going to keep the heart and guard the heart of the believer, their thoughts and their emotions. They don't, Their mind doesn't have to be locked in. He can find peace when it was frozen before. And they, they and they can find peace in the Lord Jesus' anointing to do that for them. So this has been the process. The, this is the key that you can quote to God. This may be one of the most important pieces of understanding revelation that you will have ever gotten. And when you come to the place, then you're going to need to listen to this teaching a number of times until it begins to be second nature to you when you start moving into this place, when you need to pray, but you don't know how to pray. Now, let me begin to close this thought with this by saying only a believer has access to this key. The world doesn't have it. The old covenant people did not have it. Even the the incarnational Believer, when Jesus was incarnate, didn't have it. It only took place and only became available at the resurrection of Jesus Christ when he gave it through the apostle Paul to give to you and me in this time as a way to get our cry prayers answered. And it's the key to the access that gets that done. It opens, it opens the perfect will of God. When one is crying out, not the one's not limited to man's circumstances or what they think or what they feel. They're, they're wherewithal. Because there's times, no matter how much wealth you had, you can, when, when you have a certain kind of a report, your wealth means nothing. And there's desperation there. It offers peace in the midst of the storm when your mind is paralyzed. And but another good thing, it is involved. It gets all of the Godhead involved in the process. All of the Godhead, the God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and yet God is one, and they're operating fully in that. Now this will sound like a contradiction to you as we con- conclude this. What I'm going to say now may sound like a contradiction. But when you go through one of these and, and you remember this and you institute this and you've, and you've got this piece of teaching into your understanding and it's in your, uh, revelation bank of knowledge and you apply this and come out the other side, it's going to be 
one of the most wonderful opportunities for you to grow in God. It'll be a growth process. It's going to be a wonderful escape valve because you can reach outside of your capabilities. It lets the pressure off of you. It's going to be a wonderful learning experience. The Bible says my people perish for lack of knowledge. Well, once you grasp what we've talked about today, you're not. that's not going to be a factor because you will know how to get to God. It'll be a learning experience to just fully trust God. And you're going to come to know and trust and believe and understand that God is limitless. He's not limited to a little bit. He's not limited to a, a minor or partial quality. Now, let me say this just to kind of pique your understanding. The final answer, when you pray this kind of a desperation prayer need to God, you may think you will need a thing a certain way, but the way that God answers that may or may not be manifest the way that you thought it may be manifest or you were hoping it would in the natural. Romans 8 verse 28 says, We know that all things, all things work together for good to them that love God who are the called according to his purpose. In other words, we know we have a, we have a cognitive understanding. We grasp now. We've come to this understanding that, that we know we, we've learned and we believe we have faith in the future and that God can move that all things will come together in harmony, in perfect functioning. Not only how we would put the things together, but how God would put them together based upon all of the factors, many of which we may never have known. They're going to come together for good. That means, uh, in the original Greek, it means in character and constitution. They're going to be done right. They're going to honor God. They're going to honor man. And they, there won't be any deceit in it. And they're going to be constructed right. It's just like we understand when we see a beautiful building being constructed, there has to be a foundation and then things laid line upon line and precept upon precept. And they have to go uh, from the base up to the, uh, up to the top floor before the thing is constituted right and constructed right. So all things come together for good to them. That means, and you can put a a parenthetical insertion there, to them only that love God. That means love God socially or morally. This is what we want to do. We want to get not only appreciate the magnitude of God, but we want to learn to fellowship with God and to, to draw our morals from him that those that love God who are the call, it used the article the there, and it means those who will accept the call and apply what God has said, accept the call to salvation, yes, and then accept the call to grow in God and to do what you have done by listening to this and apply it to your repertoire of what to do when you have these kind of desperate situations because you've accepted and giving latitude to God, and it says according to his will. You see, God's will means his intent is far above ours. He talks about his will and his knowledge. We can't even equate that. 
when we think about the expanse, he tells us we can look at the firmament, and that's the great expanse of the cosmos, and we can't fathom that. I love astronomy, but I can't fathom when the scientists tell us about the vastness of of the cosmos, but yet I can understand how it relates to the vastness of God in his purpose, in his will, and he's the one who has all the supply because he's going to answer that prayer according to his opinion as to what will transpire because of him answering that prayer because of the Godhead's decision, not just because some believer was crying out to them with with what they thought was a need of desperation, but he's going to answer that prayer considering every factor in it. And I'll leave you with this. Only the believer has access to the key that I've just given you for an alternative, even if you will, a divine alternative to have anguish of soul, torment of soul, going through periods of adjustment when your mind is frozen and you don't know how to pray, and yet you know you how to pray. And this will tell you how to pray when you don't know how to pray. And let me just leave you with the Bible word that we have when God wants us to meditate. And he says, Selah.